0: Here we go. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Though I tell you, we're going to be all over the place in Proverbs, so look to the screen. It's going to be helpful. We'll start in verse 14, or chapter 14. We'll move on through. Last week, we started this new series uh, that we're calling uh, Wisdom for the Ages. And last week, we really talked about what is wisdom uh, and how do we get it. We said wisdom is really the ability to understand the pattern realities of the world and of life and, and follow them. And the way we get wisdom is by this path. It's not, that's a, it's not a technique that we unlock. It's not a book we read and get it, but rather it's a lifelong journey following the paths of wisdom, following the Lord. Uh, we talked about how it's by knowing the love of God and knowing self and, and knowing true friends who speak into your life. Proverbs says that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. Uh, and so that's kind of what we set up last week, and this week we're going to start kind of diving into uh, some particulars. on How do we have wisdom, particularly this week, for our anger? How do we navigate our anger, and what does the book of Proverbs, what kind of wisdom does it give us to navigate anger? And So we're looking at a, a collection of Proverbs that deal with anger. And so let's read the words of the Lord. Starting in chapter 14, the words will be on the screen. Like I said, we're going to jump around. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man serves up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, You will only have to do it again. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. I do not need to prove to you that we struggle with anger sometimes. I don't need to prove to you that we live in a world that seems to be angry all the time. More often than not, if you spend some time on social media, you'll probably get off angry. And not only are we all seemingly angry at each other, angry at the opposite political party, angry at the opposite ideological aisle, Not only are we angry, but outside forces want to use your anger. Companies use your anger to sell you things. Politicians use your anger to get your votes. People use your anger to get their support for this cause or that cause. They use your anger to raise money, to spread their message. Newspapers, articles news anchors use your anger to get clicks to make money because anger sells and we are angry we are angry at the world and the things that are going on from a global scale but also anger hits closer to home we get angry at our spouse we get angry at our kids we get angry at our friends some of us suppress that anger we we we're like the hulk our secret is we're always angry. We just don't see. No one sees it because uh, we, we suppress it and we keep it bottled up. We keep it at bay. But on, under the surface, it's making us bitter and snappy and short-tempered sometimes. So, But others of us, we lash out. We fly off the handle. We blow up. We don't keep our cool. We explode unless we're in polite company and Then we try to hold it back. But sometimes... Whether it's from lashing out in a big burst or holding it in and growing bitter and, and being you know, always subtly angry. The reality is anger controls us a lot of times. Our anger can control us. And the reality is we're, we're all angry. And we're, we'll be angry again. And we all need to understand the nature of anger. What it is. Why we have it. What's going on with our anger. We have to understand that if we're ever going to be freed from it freed from its clutches. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about anger. And its wisdom, I think, if we can receive it, I think it can actually begin to heal us and change how we deal with our anger. And by extension, I think it will heal not just us, but our families, our friends, and our communities as well. that have to put up with us and our grumpy tempers. So number one, I want to look at the destruction of anger. At the top, we want to look at The destruction of anger and how anger destroys. When you get angry, often you leave a pile of bodies in your wake. Because your anger doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. It destroys everything it touches. But one of the things you may not realize is that anger first, before it destroys other people, also destroys you. Proverbs fourteen thirty said, "A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, but anger makes the bones rot." In this pre-scientific age, the the old sages and, and and new doctors and everyone tells us something that is absolutely true: that anger destroys your own body physically. Like anger physically has an effect on our own bodies. I was reading medical journals this week, uh, and all of them talked about how anger. Is hard on your heart. It's hard on your brain. Uh, it's hard even on your gut, on your stomach. Anger causes all sorts of health problems: high blood pressure and all kinds of medical things that you'll have to go ask somebody with more knowledge than me to explain them to you. But anger hurts you, as the proverb says. It makes your bones rot. Proverbs fourteen seventeen now uh, says a man of a quick, t- quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. 15.18 says a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. And 19.19 says a man of great wrath will pay the penalty. Not only does anger hurt me physically, but anger destroys your community. It destroys those around you. We see a man of a quick temper, uh, he ends up being hated. His hot temper stirs up strife, he creates conflict. And it says he will pay the penalty. One of the penalties of your anger is that you leave a pile of bodies in your wake. That is, you destroy everyone around you. And eventually you find yourself isolated, you find yourself all alone because no one wants to be around you and be around your anger and, and you blow it up at them. Anger destroys relationships. Anger makes you irrational and makes you say things. Y'all know this, right? When you get angry, you say things you don't mean. You say things that later you come to regret and wish you had not said. But it was because of the, the heat of the moment. Your anger made all wisdom go out the window. Your anger just pushes people away, tears them down, beats them down, and then in turn makes them angry at you. Even if your anger doesn't go to the, to the level of physical abuse, the words of your anger can often hurt seemingly just as much. You've heard it said, that old proverb, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt me. A fool wrote that. It should say sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can destroy my very soul. Because words, a little comment here or there, sticks with you and just wrecks your insides. Wounds heal, bones mend, but words spoken in anger that have torn you down worm their way to the deepest parts of your heart and soul and break you. You hear them play in your mind over and over again and they just destroy you. Your anger can and eventually will hurt everyone around you. It will break them and leave you alone until the only companion you have left is your anger. So it, is, it destroys you. It destroys your community. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine says, Whoever is slow to anger has a great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You see, Thirdly, anger destroys your wisdom. Whenever you have been angry and you've cooled off, you know, you blew up in anger and and now the the situation has resolved itself and you're, you're cooled down, you've come back down. And you look back and you look back on what just happened. And you realize all the decisions you just made were really dumb. All the things you just said were really dumb. You always look back at your anger and you think, man, why did I say that? comes out of your mouth and you can't you're trying to grab the words and you can't why did i act like that what a what a fool i've been when you cool down you always look back and go wow what a fool i've been because anger distorts your view of others and of the situation you find yourself in when you're angry you do not think rationally or clearly And so it distorts your view of others, it distorts your view of your situation, it distorts your view of yourself, and it causes you to make stupid decisions and destructive choices. Your anger destroys your ability to act wisely. And so it makes you dumb. Your anger makes you dumb and makes you act a fool. Fourthly, Proverbs 19.19 says, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Anger destroys your will. It destroys your will. It destroys our bodies, destroys our community, destroys your wisdom, and it also destroys your will. Of all of the range of human emotions... Lots of human emotions, but of all of the human emotions, anger is the one that is most like an addictive substance. You see, it is easy to admit when you're worried or when you're sad or when you're stressed, but anger hides itself, it hides itself and it leads you to denial. Like, you've all been here, right? Like, you've blown up in anger, you've, you've flown up the handle, you've said something, and when someone says back to you, "What says, why are you so angry? I'm not angry! I'm just defending myself! Well, you sound angry. I'm just me, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're not, but, but you sound, I'm not angry! I'm just hurt! No, I think you're You might be hurt, but you're also angry. I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. Can we just have a conversation? Sure, but it sounds like you want to fight, right? You sound angry because it hides itself, and it's hard to admit it because it is an addictive emotion. Your anger is causing all these problems in your life. You you got angry, and now your, your spouse is ignoring you or has walked out or a friend, doesn't want to be around you, and so what do you do? They've walked out, they've removed themselves from you, and what do you do now that you're calmed down from your anger? You just got to get more angry because you, you got to blame them, right? You, uh, because you're going to spiral into more anger, this vicious cycle, because you're not going to blame yourself. You're not going to admit it to yourself. And so now you're just angry at them. Well, they walked out, they left. They didn't want to have the conversation. You see how you're just more angry? And it's just this vicious cycle. Remember, let's go back to this proverb. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him from that wrath, You'll just have to do it again and again and again because it's a vicious cycle. You can't stop being angry because to do so, you'd have to come face to face with your own faults. And you don't want to do that, and so you just stay angry. I read a story this week about a preschool teacher who had a kid in their preschool class who was getting angry a lot and kind of just struggling with being angry and kind of hurting the other kids and blowing up at the other kids. And so the teacher, trying to help the kid, told the kid, hey, when you get angry, walk away and just go kick the chair. Go kick on the furniture. Kick the chair. Kick the table as a way to get out your anger in a healthy way. Go take out your anger on this inanimate object, and so the teacher then went to the parents and said, hey, you know, so you know, little Timmy is struggling with being angry, and so here's what we're doing. We're going to have him go take out his anger in this healthy way to go kick the chair uh, as a tactic to help him deal with that. When the mom heard this, she responded in an email to the teacher saying, listen, my brother, when he was young, was also told to kick the furniture to deal with his anger as a, as a, in this quote-unquote healthy way, but today he's still kicking the furniture, and now he kicks his wife too. You see, Proverbs is right. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you'll have to do it again and again and again and again. Anger that is not rightly dealt with becomes a vicious cycle of anger that gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And punching the wall doesn't help. So, anger destroys, it destroys our very bodies, it destroys our communities. It destroys our wisdom. We don't think clearly. It destroys our will. But let me change gears for a moment. Because not only is anger destructive, but we've got to see that there's actually a good side to anger. We need to see the goodness of anger, which might seem odd, but, but there is. We need to see the goodness of anger. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 19:11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You see there are two errors when it comes to thinking about our anger. Two errors. The first is obvious. Error number 1 is that you blow up in anger, right? You you blow up and you got hot anger, you're hot-headed, you fly off the handle, you get mad. That that's a problem and that's a sin, right? Blowing up in anger is a sin, but there is another error. There's an opposite error that is also a sin, and that is to never be angry. It's a sin to have hot anger, but it's also a sin to never be angry. Paul writes in in the New Testament, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And this is a command, it's an imperative, to be angry, but yet do it and not sin. That means there is such a way to be angry that is right and good and godly and holy that means you're not sinning. There are times and ways to be angry that is good. I heard it said this way, he that is angry without cause sins. He who is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause also sins. Or unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. You see, we do not want to have hot anger or no anger. We want to have slow anger. It's not hot anger and it's not no anger. We need to have slow anger. Slow to anger. We want to be a people, who are slow to anger because we serve a God who himself says he is slow to anger. He doesn't say he's not angry. God is angry. He's just slow to it. He's slow to get there. Remember, that is how God introduces himself a lot of times. Right? He says, "Look at He says, here I am. I am a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who I am. I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. But a lot of people have a problem with that, right? Look, they say, you know what, I can't believe in a God who gets angry. I can't, be- I can't believe in a God of anger. I just believe in a God of love. I can't believe in a God of anger. But here's the problem. If you do not get angry, you do not actually love anything. If you don't get angry, you don't love. If God doesn't get angry, it means he doesn't love. Love is the, it, it, uh, anger is love in motion, if you will. If you love someone, and the one you love is threatened, and you are indifferent toward that threat or that thing which might hurt them, you do not love them. If you love someone whose life is being destroyed by their unwise actions and choices, whether they've gotten themselves into an abusive relationship, or whether they've gotten themselves on drugs, or whether they are in financial ruin, or a million other things that could be hurting them, do you respond with benign indifference? No. You might look at a stranger who's made poor choices with indifference, but if you love someone and their life is being destroyed by some poor choice, you can never be indifferent. Instead, what are you? You're angry. Anger, I think this is helpful. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. You see, the more a father loves his son, the more angry he is when his son turns out to be a liar or a drunk or a traitor. If we do, if we do that, If we should and are angry at the things that destroy or threaten or hurt the ones we love, how much more does a perfect God do that when he sees us destroying ourselves and our lives with unwise actions? When God is angry, it is because he loves us and he cannot stand to watch our unwise actions destroy our life. It is good and right to be slow to anger but to get angry about the things that hurt and destroy those we love. It is right to be angry at injustice, at things that are wrong in the world. It is good and right to be angry about sin and about evil. When some lunatic takes a gun and shoots up a school and kills some kids, it is not just ungodly, it is, angry. We should, it is godly to be angry about that. God is angry about it, we should be angry about it. When politicians and organizations push for the slaughtering of the unborn through abortion, it is right and good that we are angry about that. Not indifferent. Well, that's just the law of the land. No, we are angry about it. When someone you love does something foolish and it hurts them, you should be angry about it. Now, it's not hot anger. It's not boiling over, flying off the handle anger. It is not also no anger. It's slow anger, controlled anger, and it is anger pointed in the right direction. You see, true love always gets angry. Good and right slow anger is love in motion, love with action. It is the reason the Bible commands us to speak the truth in love. When we see someone we love making foolish mistakes, that will destroy them. When we see people we love willingly giving over to their sin, we don't sit back with indifference and tolerance uh, because that's hatred. They're running toward a cliff and we're like, well, it's their choice, you know. It's their cliff. They're buying. They do what they want. No. Right? The world right now says tolerance is the supreme virtue. Tolerance is the supreme virtue of the world. And let me be, uh, let me be clear, no matter what, it is not loving to watch someone run toward destruction and say, well, you know, it's their body, their choice, they, they, they do what you want, you, you live your life, you live your truth. No, the thing is going to destroy you. And if we love them, we speak up and we say, we say we're, we're angry at the thing that has captivated their mind and their heart and their decisions. We're angry at it and we say, stop doing it, it's going to kill you, it's going to destroy your life. And so we speak. The world says to love someone, you must love their choices. But that's a lie. To truly love a sinner always means anger at their sin. Not hot anger, but slow anger. If you are not angry and you do not act in order to help save someone from their own unwise actions that will hurt them, you don't love them. Hate is the opposite of love, not anger. Indifference is the opposite of love. We get angry because we care. We get angry because we love them. We get angry because we don't want to see them hurt. If we didn't care, we wouldn't get angry. Jesus was angry at the religious leaders for all the foolish decisions and things they said and did. He was angry at the money changers in the temple who were making uh, his father's house a house of trade. He was angry at Lazarus' death. Why? Because he loved all of them. True love means you will be angry at times. And you will be angry at the things that threaten those you love, whether they are external threats or internal threats. Anger in its purest form. Anger in its form that is untainted by sin. That it's unselfish. Only only that untainted form of anger, slow, righteous anger, is love in action. So we see that anger destroys our lives. But pure and undefiled anger, anger that is right and good and slow, Is actually good. Number three, Proverbs 24, verse 28 says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. The third thing I want us to see is the distortion of anger. The distortion of anger. He says, do not witness or speak against your neighbor without cause. There are times... We are angry at someone without just cause, without a reason, right? And we have this distorted anger. This often happens when someone hits a nerve, right, that we didn't know was there, or they push your buttons in a specific way. And you go from zero to 100 like that, right? Because they pushed your buttons and you blew up. And you appear to be angry without cause. You appear angry without really a reason. You have this disproportionate amount of anger to what has happened to you. And it's easy to see that in others than ourselves, right? It's really easy to see other people do that than ourselves. So ha, so let's talk about other people and let's apply that to ourselves. Have you ever seen someone get really angry about something and, and you're looking at the situation and you just don't quite get it? You don't understand why they're so angry. Like it doesn't make sense to you. Like sure, maybe it was annoying, maybe it was frustrating, maybe it seemed a little out of place, maybe like the person who said the thing is a little out of touch, like, like you get it was weird and, 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 and foolish, like whatever, but you don't understand why that person got so angry so quickly. Well, Why is that? It, it, it is because of what Augustine called disordered loves. He, and he said basically, we all love things. Right? We love every we love all kinds of things from people to ice cream to football, whatever. We love all kinds of things. But sometimes we elevate things that should have a love down here, you know, like a two number, like a number two love, and we give them like a you know level five, seven love or whatever. We we love them more than those things themselves can bear. When you love your pet too much, it's good to love your pets, I love my pets, but when you love your pets too much and your pet dies. It's not just sad. If you, if you just love your pet the way a pet should be loved, it's really sad and it's, it's hard when your pet dies. But when you love your pet too much, it breaks you inside and you can't bear it and you're crushed and you don't know how to move forward and you don't leave the house and you, you can't even think straight and your whole life is ruined. When you love something with the sort of love that is only reserved for a savior, for God, when you love something like that, you ultimately believe it's going to bring you happiness and fulfillment and joy and peace like nothing else can. And so when that thing is taken away from you, you get angry. Let me be vulnerable with you for a moment. i give you an example from my life. Uh, probably 10 years ago. Uh, I was uh, with another youth pastor and a couple of his leaders and a couple of our leaders and we were actually here in Cincinnati at the IKEA in Cincinnati coming up from Kentucky and we were planning this winter retreat and uh, it, it, you know coming up here to scout out some 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 sites and some different things we wanted to do and uh, you know I had this I'm 24 years old and I have this you know arrogance about me I think I know everything right I think I've got it all figured out and so Uh, You know, I I feel superior, theologically superior, practically, like I've got it all together. But the whole kind of weekend, this guy was like just making these comments that were seemingly kind of making me look bad, making me look dumb, making me look like I didn't know what I was talking about. And I hadn't even realized it, that it was affecting me. And we're sitting down, we're eating at Ikea, and all the other leaders kind of got up to uh, uh, go get a drink, and he said something, and I went, I'm just... I just blew flew off the handle, blew up, said whatever to this guy. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I went, oh, my gosh. What the heck did I just do? Where did that come from? Like I was so unaware of it until just, boom, there it was. And I just ripped the guy's head off. And I was like, man, I it took me a minute. I was like, I'm, I don't know what just happened. I'm so sorry. Uh, what was going on with that? I had a distorted amount of anger because he was attacking something that I loved, my own pride, my own ego, right? And so I had this distorted anger in me. Let me tell you another story. A youth pastor friend of mine uh, in, in Kentucky at the time had two girls in his youth group. Uh, and they were both pretty and smart and making good grades, and kind of everything going for them, just everything was going great for these girls. We both had boyfriends and loving life, and um, both of them got broken up with about the same time. Uh, the first girl, you know, she was crying, she was devastated, it was hard, it was difficult, um, uh, and, and, but she, she kind of waded through those waters and things got better. Uh, the second girl went into her parents' uh, bathroom and found all the pills she could and, and swallowed all of them. And she, they, she rushed her to the hospital. They pumped her stomach out. And um, she woke up in the hospital bed, and my buddy was sitting there beside her. Uh, and when she came to, he, he talked to her for a minute and said, why would you do this? Why would you do this to yourself over a boy? And she said, because without him, life wasn't worth living. Without him, life wasn't worth living. And that's a sad story, but what's going on with that girl? She had a disordered love. She, she loved either the boy or the idea of the boy, way more than she should. And b- when that thing was removed from her, she thought she could never be happy. Just like me, when I blew up with this guy, when, I, when, it, when, the, when the, my ego and my pride was taking its hit, I thought without that I couldn't be happy, and so I got angry. When you love something more than you should, your emotions are magnified, and they go wrong. When you love something elevated where you shouldn't love it, your emotions get magnified. You see, love and anger are so tied together. And so when you love something more than you should, when you have this dis- disproportionate amount of love for a thing, you will also then have a disproportionate amount of anger when that disordered thing is removed. Three quick ways that we see this kind of disordered anger work out. First, we see a disorder in its cause. Why is it we get angry at a personal offense? And then we, we do great injustices. Why, why do we get more angry like when someone says something mean to me than we do when we see great injustices happen in the world? Why is it I get angry when someone, uh, you know, bruises my ego a little bit, but when I, see, uh, when I see shootings in schools or when I see abortion or when I see uh, genocide happen across the world, it doesn't really faze me. Why do I get so angry at one and not the other? Why do I get so mad that someone has uh, disagreed with me? Or has been sad with me or slighted me. And I blow up about that, but I don't get angry at the fentanyl epidemic in the world. The reason is because when someone attacked something I love, and I love wrongly, and therefore I get defensive, I attack my, my, because, because something in me is missing. Anytime you get angry, here's the question to ask What am I defending? Anytime you're blowing up in anger, you feel anger rising in you, the question you ask is, what am I defending? And once you have the answer, you know what your heart loves the most. When I blew up on my buddy at Ikea 10 years ago, it was because I was defending my pride, my ego, my arrogance, my my desire to look and be viewed with a certain esteem. I I was defending that because he was attacking it. When you get angry, ask what are you defending, and it will show you your disordered love. Uh, Secondly, it it becomes disordered in its proportion. When you get angry over an attack or something that you love too much, the anger won't be slow, it'll be hot. The anger will not match the offense. It'll It'll be bigger than the offense, right? That's why you're blowing up. And it presents itself in two ways. Either you fly off the handle mad in a rage or you hold it in and you burn inside, growing more bitter and more angry and it's just this conversation playing over and over in your head and your mind and your heart and you're raging on the inside. Both are wrong and both are bad. Just because you can hold yours in and you have a little more self-control doesn't mean it's not a sin. But when that, when that thing's attacked and you're blowing over inside, it's still bad. When you get really angry, You can can bet you probably have overreacted because you love something more than you should and that thing's been attacked. Number three, it's disordered in its goal. You see, loving anger that is good and right and slow always wants to do a surgical strike. When you have slow anger, it wants to do a surgical strike. You see, when your child is acting like an idiot, you want to destroy the the idiocy, not the child. You want to remove the thing that's hurting them, not them, right? Your, your kid is doing something dumb. You take the thing away from them. You want to destroy the thing, the thing that they're doing, the choice they're making. You don't want to destroy them. But a disordered love, a disordered love that leads to disordered anger doesn't attack with a scalpel. It attacks with a sledgehammer. It comes in like Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball and wants to lay everything out. Because then you attack not the problem, but the person. You don't want a surgical strike, you want vengeance. You want blood. You want to slash and burn. You want to tear everything down into pieces because you don't care. Disordered love leads to disordered causes for anger, disordered proportion of anger, and disordered goals in the anger. Your goal isn't to take away the thing that's hurting them. Your goal is to take them out, and it leaves destruction in its wake. We've all been there. We've all allowed our anger to get the best of us, to control us. And we hurt people. We say words we wish we could take back. We hurt people we wish we could have healed. This sort of anger always hurts us. Nothing good comes from it. So finally, what do we do about all this? We see anger destroys. We see there's a good part of anger when done rightly and slow. We see that anger has this disproportionate response because something in us, that's a lo- disordered of love that we have is being attacked. And so what do we do with all this? How can we have healing of our anger? How do we have the healing of anger? Three things. I'm a good Baptist today, y'all. Number one, you have to admit it. If you want to be healed from the anger that rages inside you, you have to admit you're angry. The secret to healing your anger. The first step is to admit it. If you can't admit it, you live in denial of that anger. And you will be angry towards someone, believe it in your heart, that they deserve that wrath. But saying to them, I'm not angry. Well, you are. Because you will feel above them, superior to them. They don't, get, they don't deserve to know how, just how angry you are, but you are angry. To admit anger, even, listen, even if you're the injured party, even if you're the one that's been wronged, even if you're the one the offense is against, even if your anger is from being the victim, to admit anger is to be vulnerable. To admit anger is to be vulnerable. But admitting anger takes you out of the fog of rage. To admit you're angry removes you you almost have this outer body of experience where, like, you were just angry and now it's like over here. And it gives you perspective all of a sudden. It allows then the other person who you're fighting with, now that you've admitted your anger, it gives them the freedom to also admit theirs. It's, it becomes easier for them to admit their anger. And it sets the path toward forgiveness and healing. If you're unwilling to admit your anger, you will go into that vicious cycle we talked about where you're angry and then they walked away and now you're just more angry at them and just blaming them and you're just angry all the time. And the longer you hold on to the anger, the more destructive and the harder it is to later admit it. The further you get out from it, you know, six months has passed, it's harder to go back and admit you were angry. If you won't admit your anger, you will become a slave to your anger. It will control you and master you because anger is an addictive substance. And we crave it. So we got to admit it. Second, we have to analyze it. you got to analyze it. Proverbs 24, 29 says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. He says, do not say. Who is he talking to? Say to who? Who, who is he talking to? He's not talking to anyone. He's talking to himself. He's talking, this is is self-talk. You see, what makes you angry, listen, if y'all haven't got this, get this. What, What makes you angry is usually not what actually happened. What makes you angry is what you tell yourself happened. This happens all the time. You're not angry about what the facts on the ground, you're angry about what you've told yourself and what you felt actually happened, even though it's not true. Often your anger comes from what you believe. I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with somebody that went okay, and then you played the conversation over and over and over in your head, and all of a sudden, now you're angry. You weren't angry before, but now you are because you've played it over and over in your mind, And now you've decided you've been slighted or an injustice has happened or you're you're angry about something. Sometimes our feelings about a situation make us mad. But our feelings are often disconnected from reality. And so we have to analyze and we have to check that. When you get angry, here's a question to ask. Not only what am I defending, but also what is so important that I'm willing to fight and hurt other people over it? When you get angry, when you're tempted to be angry, ask that question. What is so important? I'm willing to fight and hurt other people over this thing. Some things are that important, potentially. But most of them are not. What am I defending and what is so important I'm willing to fight and hurt others about it? What what is so important I'm willing to hurt people I love to be right? When you analyze your anger, almost always you're going to feel embarrassed. When you analyze why you've been angry and you come to the root problem, 99.9% of the time you're going to be embarrassed about it. Because almost always we are defending our ego, we're defending our pride, we're defending our self-esteem or something we know that we should not care that much about and we blew up over this thing and like, it was like a tic tac size issue and we like gave it a bazooka-sized anger. Sometimes this analysis can take you to the root of your soul. And so you've got to get vulnerable. You have to be really vulnerable and look at yourself. And if you can be strong enough to own who you are, to own your weaknesses, you can begin to master our anger and heal from being its slave. And then finally, you have to transform it. You have to admit it. You have to analyze it. But then you've got to transform it. 15, Proverbs fifteen one, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 25.22, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if your enemy is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. When you really love someone. Let's take our kids, for example. You have kids, uh, uh, and you care for them. You change their stinky, dirty diapers for years. You provide for them. You you run them to practices and games. You spend tons of money on them. You give them your whole heart, your whole life, and your whole effort into them. And when they get older, they're 15 years old, 16 years old, and, and you warn them about some bad decision that they're going to make, and you say, hey, you don't need to do that. That's really bad. Uh, it's going to hurt you. And they look at you, and they say, you don't. Love me. You've never loved me. You don't care about me. You've never done anything for me. And you're like, sit down. We can spend a few days to talk about the things I've done for you. It is the most unjustifiable, disproportionate, out of touch response they could give, but it breaks you. It breaks your heart. How do you respond? How do you respond? You can either withdraw because it hurts too much. You can withdraw, say, do whatever you want, I'm sorry, you go be you. And if you do that, there'll be less anger, but they'll destroy themselves with the poor decision that they were going to make. Two, you can rage. And you've lived longer than them, and you're better at comebacks than them, and so you can beat them down. Like, your insults are better than their insults. You can destroy them. Right? And you will win the argument. Because you're older and you're better. But you'll lose them. Not only will they make the poor choice, but you'll lose them in the process. Or third, you can make a surgical strike. You can use a scalpel. This is true of anyone in your life. With kids, friends, whatever. You have to hate their sin, be angry at their decision, but want to love them. What do you do? How do you do it? How do you be righteously angry? How do you be angry at the thing? It says a soft anger turns away wrath. If your enemy is hungry, give them food, give them drink. What does this teach us? It says you've got to come close. It means that you must come close to the person and insist with gent- gently. Insist gently on the truth. And then when they get angry, to absorb their wrath, to absorb their anger without paying it back. To come close, to speak the truth gently, and absorb their anger without paying it back. To take their insults, to take their jabs, and to not burn down the bridge in response, but to continue to draw close, continue to build the bridge, continue to insist on the truth with gentleness. And in so doing, you can save them from themselves. You can transform your anger. Point it at the decision. Point it at the thing in action, not the person. Attack the thing, destroying them. Absorb their anger and do not repay anger for anger. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus came near to us. He literally left heaven, came to earth, came close. He spoke to us the truth. He told us the truth even when it's hard to hear. And when we reviled him, he did not revile back. When we mocked him, he did not not mock back. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the cross, Jesus absorbed our anger and the anger we deserved. He did both. He absorbed the anger we were given in Him and He didn't push it back. And he, re- he absorbed the anger we deserved from Him. He took our insults and He did not return them in kind. And He could have rightly been angry at us for our sin, but He chose to absorb it and pay the debt for us instead. He loved the sinner and hated the sin. He loved the sinner and dealt with the sin. He loved the sinner by dealing with our biggest problem, with our sin, by attacking it and therefore saving us. It is this truth that we must all experience and that gives us peace with God. And it is this truth that gives us peace with each other. Feed your hungry enemy and love your enemy and put burning coals on their head. Martin Luther King, Jr., I think, embodied these words when he said this in one of his speeches. To our most bitter opponents, we say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as it is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community and at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we should st- shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. If you want to heal your anger, admit it. Analyze it and then figure out what you're defending so harshly and transform it. To be angry and do not sin. To be angry at the things God is angry at. To be slow to anger and let your anger be directed by love. Just like God's anger is directed by love. And when you do, not only through Jesus' love and anger will you have peace with God, but we have a really, really good chance at having peace with each other. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning talking about a topic and an issue that every single one of us is affected by. Every one of us in this room has been angry. We might be angry right now, and we will be angry in the future. But, Father, we know that this emotion can enslave us and ensnare us and capture our hearts and our lives, and it can destroy ourselves and everyone around us. And so, Father, we pray for freedom And liberation against this vice. Would you give us the strength this morning to admit where we've been angry and not hold on to it? Would you give us the strength to analyze our anger and ask what have we been defending? And what are we so willing to fight and destroy other people over? And to realize, not with embarrassment but with humility, that that thing's not worth defending or worth fighting over. And would you give us the ability to heal it, to come near those we love, to not lash out in anger at the things and choices they make that hurt us, to not lash out in anger at the things that they say and do to us that hurt us, but to to draw close, to embrace, to insist on the truth and gentleness And to absorb every wound that they give so that in the end we might have a double victory to both heal our own anger and to heal and save them. Let us not fall into the vicious cycle of addiction of anger, but to be set free by the power of the gospel through a crucified and risen Savior. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, let me tell you, He has rightly been angry at your sin. But he did not take you out, he took your sin out upon himself instead. And if you want to know him this morning, as we sing this song, I'm going to stand up here to the left, you come up to me and you say, Brent, I want to follow this Jesus. I want my sins forgiven, not in part, but the whole, as we sang earlier. Not some of them, not most of them, all of them forgiven. And he'll, right now, wash them clean, wipe them away. If you're here this morning and you would say to me, Brent, anger is an issue for me, I'm struggling with it. I'm angry at my spouse. I'm angry at my job. I'm angry at life and I just can't stop being angry. I'm just angry all the time and I hold it in, I keep it in. Sometimes I blow up and I just don't know how to get get it under control. Let I would love to pray for you this morning. Come up and admit man, admit it to yourself, come admit it to me and find not embarrassment, find not shame, find not guilt, but find a brother who's been there. Daily, find peace in admitting it and then find healing through confession and forgiveness. God, give us the strength to do what we must this morning. In Christ's name we pray. All people said, let's stand together.